we, one, one of the things I want you to see is we're doing this series that we're calling Me We. Um, a few weeks ago, Pastor Ken introduced us to the series, and he and I have been sitting on this for about a year, getting um, ideas from some of the other uh, 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 pastors and voices that we bring into it, letting it build, marinate, just getting different perspectives so that we could be ready to introduce this, kind of in a mature, uh, in its maturity, ready to be presented. And in many ways, even um, if you are a part of our cultural uh, negotiations class, that was a precursor to this. So even some of the concepts we introduce, you'll have a little bit of a heads up on. Um, and so if there's any questions uh, that, that you find you can answer because you're in that class, feel free to jump into conversations in the midst of that. Um, the series brings to the surface this idea that our community, this great big we that we call Common Ground Northeast, is made up of a bunch of me's, a lot of individuals. Um, and and in, whenever you bring a bunch of individuals together, there's a social negotiation that has to take place. Um, and there is this reciprocal relationship that takes place between the me, the, the individuals, and the we, the collective community. And so the individuals, they contribute and shape the bigger, broader communal we. And then the we, as you come and, can, and, and, and participate in what's happening, the broader we shapes us as individuals, and we're all different people on the other side of it when it's working well. Now, last week's sermon, we called on each other to submit to one another. That if we need to learn from each other, we can't walk in with this idea that what, I, what I've done and the way I've always done it is the right way, but instead come in with this idea of curiosity so that we stretch our me, our individual sense of, um, of who God is and the community, and, and we put our preferences on hold so that we can interact with other people's preferences, so that we can take that in and grow through it. So the best community that we can be is an accumulation of diverse me's all together, interacting, not there to overindulge your influence, but also not there to exclude your contribution or influence on the broader we. Uh, and since we're in such an individualistic uh, society, we really swung the pendulum hard against the me in favor of the we. I want us to keep this in balance, though. And so what we're going to do here is throughout this series, we're going to explore topics that often divide us in our individuality. But if we have a strong adherence and commitment to the bigger we, we can learn and grow. We can come with a posture of loving curiosity. That's a term that we took from, from the culture class. Move towards each other in a posture of loving curiosity about the things and ways in which you engage scripture, you worship God, you read the Bible, you, you bring your experiences in, the wisdom in which you have applied the Bible and scriptures um, inside of it. And there's all kinds of ways we could apply that. Um, if you remember last week, I ended on this global note, urging our congregation to see that even our collective we is bigger than our me, but is smaller than the giant global church we, Right? There is a giant diversity across the world that would call themselves Christian throughout history, that would call themselves Christian. And as I mentioned and quoted David Wells, a famous, actually not a quote, but I, I paraphrased his, um, a famous line by him, asked us to consider the possibility that a piece of Jesus has been deposited in every single culture that has ever existed, and it's our job to discover it so that our understanding of God can be expanded far beyond what we could possibly imagine in our own culture. All right? So today what I want to do is expand our ideas very specifically on the topic of worship. I want us to warm up to this idea first, though. And so um, I'll have this really short video to check out that Pastor Ken shared with me a few months ago. One, two, three, four, 
One, two, three. Now that is the European dominant beat. For Africans and African Americans, it is not one and three, it is two and four. I don't even have to teach you. Y'all just listen to black people clap to this song. Glory, glory, hallelujah. You are clapping on beats two and four. If you got some white friends, they'll be clapping like this, y'all. <laughs> Short, potent, funny. Now, now, in no way is any white or black community a monolith. There's lots of diversity found within that. But even today, I was paying attention, knowing I was about to show this clip. What did we clap on? The European dominant, right? And you've done it before. Like, it's one of those things, though, that we typically just don't even think about. It's a subconscious part of this. It's simple in, in, the, in the scope of worship. But I want you to see is it's also foundational. There's parts of that that lives within us, especially if you've grown up in a community that's only done it one way or the other. You might never think of it when you come through the gates and his courts with praise that what I am clapping on could be alienating another person in this room, making them feel uncomfortable. Also, you might come in feeling uncomfortable and have no reason to know why. It just felt like, I don't know, I just felt like I tried to jump in and it was, go, you know, it was kind of, I don't... I, I don't know, I, c I couldn't quite figure it out. It's, it's extremely disorienting, no matter which way you come from, entering into a dominant culture that is different than yours. And at the subconscious level, you might even feel like, I just didn't feel right. It didn't, it didn't seem to connect with what was going on. Do you see how that could happen? Now, now, let's take it further. I've mentioned this story before. I was leading worship in the Ivory Coast, West Africa. And so, and shout out, we just have some people here who were there for like the last three weeks, right? Three Two weeks, uh, just got back fairly recently doing some medical um, overseas work over there. So thank you for your work there. Um, and it just happens to be this moment where uh, in a similar area that like we're, we're leading worship. We got asked as the like the, the you know, quote unquote missionaries to come and lead worship at this small church, right? So, so we bust out all of our guitars that we trekked halfway across the world. We pivoted because there was no projector and there is a, a language barrier. So what are you going to do about all of those things? Then we closed our eyes as tight as we could, replicated Coldplay and U2. <laughs> and then we tried to lead these songs. And then uh, as it was in this contemplative, reflective area, all of a sudden the congregation is like singing and joining in, and then the singing turned to really loud singing. Like, hey, can you all chill out? We don't have a sound system in here. You can't hear me. I'm the leader. I'm leading. Oh, okay, so get louder. Then the clapping turns into movement, and the movement turns into dancing. Then there's this line, this parade of people. The whole room is just in this parade of people running around. And I'm like, y'all, stop. We're trying to worship here. Get up off that stage. Put the guitar down and join us. I'm like... I'm not in control here. And this is happening right in front of me spontaneously. And everything I had defined worship as was just being thrown on the dirt floor of this room that I'm hanging out with. And so I get down there and I start jumping around, get inside of the line, start doing the dances, start singing the song. I've led this before. I've said it before you before. We come to you with the heart of grace for your love, an offering of all we are brought with love. It's a simple chorus old, like 20 years old, but we just grabbed that one line. I'm like, wait, what about the other verses? No, no, we're good with this. This is what we need right now. 
And they just keep singing it. And all creation looks to you. All provision comes from you. And we're singing. They're definitely not clapping on the one and the four. I can tell you that. It's a swing beat. And we're just moving and singing these songs. And the three songs for 15 minutes that I had chosen just get thrown out. Because we're singing these songs and choruses and praises and dancing and shouting. And it's loud and it's a little bit ruckus for like almost an hour. Probably 45 or 50 minutes. And then it all just kind of calms down eventually. And it was me who had to be led, right? After all was said and done, it was me who had to adjust and to learn and to realize this is a a kind of worship that I would not have imagined if you had just put me in a room and said, all right, you're about to lead worship. I know that because I had a set ready. So, so, okay. So listen, every one of us comes into this room with an exposure to what we call worship, with some level of history or maybe a lack thereof, right, of history with anything that might be considered worship. And, and we're all engaging with God with these different expressions that we have first encountered, then we become accustomed to, right? See the, pro- see the slippery slope. See the process. We're accustomed to it, and then we cultivate this sense of comfortability and a range or scope of what we consider is worship, and then eventually that becomes normal in our individual lives, then it becomes normal in our communal lives, right? Then, as followers of Christ, it becomes the definition of, well, the Scripture does say orderly, so when you encounter something uncomfortable, it's a little bit outside of what you become accustomed to, you're like, well, that seems a little disorderly to me. Well, by whose definition? And and then it becomes crystallized into biblical. Do you see how those steps take place? That once was just a preference that I held with an open hand becomes tighter and tighter and tighter until I'm holding it down here and I can look and say, no, no, that's biblical and this isn't. What I'm doing is the right way to do it. They aren't worshiping biblically over there, but in here we know how to do it the Bible way. None of it's necessarily biblical. It's expressions. And so here's what I want to see. Having preferences is not bad. There's nothing bad about that. But as I learned in that small church in the Ivory Coast, my definition of worship was so limited. And I didn't even know it. I had no clue how limited it was. In fact, it's really, really limited. And sadly, over time, it had become a definitive way that was being broken. God was not being nice about disrupting and rearranging my definition of worship that day. It was being broken. And everything I had thought once was put to the side so that I could uh, participate in something else that was being led by the Spirit in front of me. And so we need to come to the point of realization that there is so much more that we can explore, so much more that we can discover, so much more that we can enjoy in our expressions of worship when we have the broader we uh, contributing internally, so much more that God commands from us, right? That's not even our expression. That's commands from us that's outside of our scope or even you or my's comfort zone. Is it possible, though, that we're limiting our scope and comfortability, but also displaying worship that misses other cultures completely, completely dismisses them, misses, in in the midst of that, misses aspects of Jesus that they've discovered that we just haven't, and even has the potential to alienate someone else in the way that they would engage with God. And I learned this lesson um, while I was helping out with Campus Crusade for Christ. If you don't know the structure, there's an impact movement that reaches out more 
specifically to African-American students, and then crew um, is in various ways trying to recognize where they have maybe uh, thought this is the way to do it, but now we're realizing this is probably actually probably the white way to do it, okay? So they have these two worlds. We're interacting with both. We've got, we're, this is New Orleans. We're at Xavier College doing impact, and then we're over here at Tulane University doing this stuff and some of the other places, and once a month we get together, and there was a clear, like, Hey, okay, can we, can we drop in on some things and add some ideas to that? Could we put some songs into this, uh, the, the retreat that's coming up? Like, yeah, I guess we can, but I've never heard that song. It's called Son of Man. If you haven't heard of it, uh, uh, Dietrich, uh, uh, Haddon, D- Dietrich Haddon, I think. Um, I, it's been years since, I, since I've heard it or, or led it. But he brought this in. I'm like, man, I can't even play this song. It's like, no, I, I got the bass down. I'll, you just play the four chords you know, and I'll fill all the bass notes in the middle of it. And we're going to make this song. And it was like this negotiation we had to have in the midst of it. Um, as I'm having this conversation, one young lady, Camille, barely knows Jesus, dating one of the guys, and it goes to a retreat, and Lecrae is leading there. And some of the other people that are associated, Lecrae is a, is a hip-hop artist in the Christian world. And... Um, she comes back and she, I said, how was the retreat? She's like, oh my gosh, it was wild. Like, what do you mean? What, what happened? I, I've never had so much fun in my life. I'm like, well, what, what happened? So I just didn't know Christians could get hype like that. And I'm like, what do you mean by all of this? Well, like we were dancing and do all these different things. And then she kind of like, I'm not trying to be rude when I say this, but I've almost mostly only gone to like white churches and you don't do that. It's quiet, and it's like the acoustic guitar and all the different things, right? Like it's, it, it wasn't critique, but it was like the cultural expression was so mismatched that when she got into a world that was giving her the cultural expression that was more familiar to her, freedom happened. Engagement happened. I didn't know what we were taking from Camille until she came to me that day and revealed to me how much was being missed in the midst of that. And it was celebration she was missing. The topic of worship is so big. We've been around the church world. You, you, you surely to have heard the line that worship is bigger than just music. It's more than just the music part, right? That's still just scratching the surface because the Bible discloses so much for us on this subject. And so we're going to blow that up to smithereens and then pick those pieces up off the ground at the end of this so that we can kind of see what our greater we can become. Are we willing to do that? All right, just letting you know beforehand. And we're going to cultivate this loving curiosity for other expressions at Common Ground um, so that we can do that moving forward, include as many types of worship as possible. So open up your Bible first uh, to Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. Ephesians 5, I know you're like, we're done with Ephesians, man. Get us out of Ephesians. We spent a whole summer there. Just going to dip our toe into it. We'll jump back out to some other things. Ephesians 5, 18 and 20 says, To be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the what? Oh, you weren't watching. Or maybe it's not up there. Oh, I tried to get you and you got me. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the what? From the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Well, Colossians 3.16 says something almost exactly the same with a little bit of nuance. It says in Colossians 3.16, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
And so what both of these two verses, when you grab them and put them together, they create this expectation of a communal participation and contribution, not a singular person or group of leaders who prepare something on Sunday and put it on display for someone to consume. You see what's going on there. The expectation would be that I could call on anyone and say, hey, what's God doing in your life right now? And you would be prepared to give something, a psalm, a hymn, a teaching, anything. That I could say to you, or you could say to me, well, what about this? In the midst of it, it's more dialogue-based than monologue-based. And so my question isn't just to full-on flip the script and pull the rug out from underneath us. I'm not calling on anyone today, but to ask two questions. What would have to adjust in the way that we do things on Sunday morning if we wanted to actually do what these verses said and then reverse it? What would we have to do or adjust in the way you prepare to come on Sunday if you knew at any point you were supposed to come with a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song? A teaching, an admonition, a prayer, an offering, a contribution. So these worshipful acts are already rearranging, right? You can live in the, well, I like this kind of music and you like that kind of music, and we can negotiate those things, but again, we're still at the surface of this conversation because er, even deeper underneath the surface, what we're talking about is a fundamental rearrangement of what we do on Sunday morning. Do you see it? And I think you might actually enjoy it if you tried it, right? Both of these verses give us this idea that there is a worshipful act that is for each other and for God. So catch what I'm saying there. It says, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to you all, to each other. So, so in some ways, and we're going to come back to this because it, it still plays, that I'm here to worship for an audience of one is not actually accurate. It, it is to some extent, but also I'm here to uplift you and you, and you're here to uplift me, and you're here to uplift you over here and you over here. There is a part of this that is communal, that songs and hymns and spiritual songs bring testimony to create edification and encourage one another. Okay, we're going to move. So let that be one. That's one layer. We're, we're surface. We can bicker about music. The next thing we can do is come underneath and talk about the arrangement of what happens on Sunday mornings and what we do. But let's go a little deeper, uh, and it's going to go Old Testament on you. I hope you're ready. Let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. You've probably heard this verse a few times. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, is it up there? What? Bodies. As a what? Living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the fact that Romans adds true and proper worship should, should at least highlight, exclamate, create some level of urgency of like, he's really trying to make sure, Paul is the writer of this, and he's really trying to make sure that we understand. He's giving us some very key aspects of worship. And did you catch that none, not one single bit of it had anything to do with music? Not one single part of it had to do with a hymn, a song, or a spiritual song, a melody, a harp and a lyre, if you want to go David, right? Nothing. It talks about offering our bodies, not just as a sacrifice, 
but as a living sacrifice. Now, there's a part of me that really wants to geek out on the meaning of that connected to Yom Kippur, which is Monday. And I really, really wanted to fight and force that into today. It wasn't going to happen. I'm going to save you from all of that. But just know that there is this whole goat thing going on. You've got the, the sacrificial things. There's one that dies immediately, one that knows it's up for sacrifice, but it's living continually. And the ultimate idea, we can build it out, but again, the ultimate idea, you still kind of get it just from the wording. That modern day believers are to continually, continually offer themselves up as a sacrifice to God, to continually experience giving ourselves over to God, to every day wake up and surrender ourselves to God, and, 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 and to acknowledge that God's presence is with us every day beyond just the Sunday morning thing. We, we get that just from probably context clues, right? God requires, though, in addition to these things, this, this giving up of ourselves, this offering up of ourselves like a sacrifice and a transformation into his likeness, renewing of our mind is what it says, as apart, as, 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 um, as in the likeness of him, but apart from what, what is called the world, all right? And so we are to do things his way. We are to cultivate obedience as worship. We are to create in our hearts a continual practice of giving ourselves up to God, and this is directly connected to worship. Now, I'm going to tie those two worlds together with a verse from Hebrews 15 and 13, verses 15 and 16. Um, they'll be up on the board here. Uh, Hebrews, again, verse, uh, chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, and it connects the ideas of sacrifice and music together. It says, through Jesus before... I'm sorry, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of what? Have you ever offered a sacrifice of praise? I mean, does it really cost that much from you to come here and lift your voices? Think about that word and what it could mean. Okay, so God, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So this is far beyond the normal, like, when we talk about worship, we're talking about the three songs in a sermon, right? Every Sunday morning that you get on Sunday uh, services. You see, it's so w what he's weighing in on here is there, there are so many aspects of worship that we need to consider that are in the Old Testament, New Testament. We've got sacrificial systems. We have prayers. We have praises. We have more. We have bodily movements and postures. There's so much going on here. What I want to do um, is draw from a, an academic, a theologian, who has tried to Read the scriptures over and over and over and categorize. Give us some succinct, bite-sized, three ways in which he sees worship playing out throughout the scripture. A guy by the name of David Peterson, he wrote a book called Engaging with God. He writes that worship of the living and true God... Oh, we have this quote up there, I think. Yeah, great. The worship of the living and true God is essentially an engagement with him on the terms that he proposes... And in a way that he alone makes possible. Sit with it for a little bit. The worship of the living and true God is essentially an engagement with him as yet undefined, right? Just some kind of engagement on the terms that who proposes? God himself and that he alone made possible to us. So here's a few points I want to draw from this idea. First, that worship is an engagement. There is some kind of interaction. 
it's not necessarily music, it's not necessarily not music, but some kind of interactions taking place. And Peterson's study throughout the entirety of Scripture brought him to a variety of ways to engage with God. Here are the three that he proposes. Worship is homage or grateful submission. Homage or grateful submission. I think we actually have these up there. Um, do we have the three things? I may not have gotten that in time. Okay, perfect. Leave these up while I'm talking for like the next seven minutes. Because I want you to keep thinking these categories. Grateful submission. Okay, let me give you a definition. Most common word in, in the scriptures for worship literally means to bend over or to bow down. It's a gesture of what? Surrender? Submitting? M maybe fear that you are so great, right? It, it could be to human beings. It could be this word to God or to idols. And in this case, God is saying, I want you to bow down to me. The Lord asks that we would respond in forms of repentance, in faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So such worship involves praying to him, calling on his name, and obeying him. If you think about cultures across the world, who does this really well? Who bows down real well inside of different cultures? Muslims. Uh, is it, I'm going to make this, this sh I don't think this is controversial. It shouldn't be. We're, we are Christians. Don't, don't hear me say anything other than that. We have something to maybe learn. There is a cultivated practice uh, that maybe could be embraced for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of Yahweh, that we would just say that's bad. Okay? I'll, I'll back up off. If, if that's controversial to you, come talk to me after service or catch me at some point. All right? W worship, then second, as service. And this literally means serving each other. Okay, very simply, that there are words inside of the scripture that are translated as worship, literally meaning to serve or service others and God. So the people of Israel were saved from slavery in Egypt so that they could what? Exodus 3.12, serve the Lord. Do things for him. Think of old school kings, right, and people serving the king. We, we're so egalitarian in our context, we don't like to talk about those versions of surrender. But that's true. That's what's happening. That we would serve God. The parallel except is to, to offer sacrifices to God and to hold a festival. So even our celebrations of God are being held on behalf of a king that we're serving because we are offering this up to him. So we're serving one another, and that is worship. And we are coming together to serve on behalf of God. The sacrificial system enabled Israel to be a cleansed, to be cleansing from sin, consecrating to God's service and expressions of gratitude. So we're drawing back to that Old Testament thing, right? We would make ourselves worthy even to be able to be served. And then look at this last one. Worship is reverence or respect. Worship is reverence or respect. There are third, the third group, uh, 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 there, there is a third group of words, sorry, that sometimes can be described inside of, of this conversation that's different completely from these other two examples. Words meaning fear, reverence, respect. God indicates a need to keep his commands, obedience, right? The Ten Commandments. To obey his voice, to walk in his ways, to turn from evil, to serve him. These are all different. I've got all of these uh, verses being quoted in here, Deuteronomy 8, 6, 10, 12, Job 1, 1. If you want them, come get them from me later. But, but what I want you to see is all of these things are a type of reverence or respect that simply get translated as worship at times. So we have sacrifices and other rituals expressed as reverence for God, faithfulness, obedience, 
doing what he says often when we don't want to do it. And so the sacrificial system that doesn't disappear, but is fulfilled in Christ and kind of makes a little pivot in our time and day. I'm not going to ask you to sacrifice any animals, all right? Rest easy. Making a sacrifice emphasizes, though, devotion by giving something to someone else that you could otherwise have kept for your own reasons. So I am saying this is yours and it is a sacrifice to me because it costs me something. It recognizes the holiness or otherness or uncommonness of God and restores us back. That's, that's what it means to be made right before God. So the sacrifices would do that so that my commonness would be made uncommon and I am holy and pleasing to the Lord. The sacrificial system shows that you are more devoted to, listen to this, to the recipient of the sacrifice, God, then to the thing you're sacrificing. So think money and time and resources. I don't serve the God of time or money or resources, but instead I give parts of that to God to show him that I am more committed to him than I am to those things which can become gods in my life. Amen. Much of the sacrificial system is doing something or making tangible or intangible trust in God. He doesn't need your grain. He didn't need your offerings. He doesn't need your ceremonies. He doesn't need your rhythmic reorientations and priorities um, inside of this. He wants you to be, in, uh, to be in a rhythmic reprioritization of yourself that you would continue to remind yourself, I give this tithe because I want to keep it and I really want to do something else with it. I want to save it for something else. But I don't serve that God here. Take it! Because it grabs us. Right? So rhythmically, reorient rhythmically, reprioritize back to him our time, money, resources, our tendency to trust ourselves for something else, bringing it back to him. That's what the sacrificial system reminds us of. And then finally, that it's on his terms. And I want you to think of Abraham. Um, so did Abraham have a lot of preferences going up the hill with his son Isaac? Did he worry about, you know, I, I really wish this sword, this dagger... It was made of Macedonian steel instead of some other kind of thing. I, I, I wish the ornation on it would be a little different. I wish I could have worn something different. I wish the sound of this thing, the way in which this act of worship, I wish my preferences would be more met in this as he's taking his son Isaac up a hill to be sacrificed. There's almost no regard for his preferences in it. He, he is sacrificially meant to kill his son which never considered his feelings. And also the point of that, by the way, we've talked about this before, because Abraham was used to sacrifices. All the gods asked for sacrifice. And man, if you can give your firstborn son, that's a really big sacrifice. So, all right, if this is what Yahweh requires and what happens, he gets to the top. And just at the moment of peak obedience, he says, I'm not a God who requires sacrifice. Put the dagger down. There is a different something that I have provided, a ram in the bush, Right? The point is I am not like the other gods, okay? So, so he, he, um, he requires the obedience. He gets it to that point and then t proclaims that he is not the kind of God that you thought you were serving. He decides to give us this day our daily bread at times. Not bread for the next week or the next week or the next month or the next two years or till you pass away. Because it brings us back to him. 
So it requires obedience, but it also requires faith. And then there's this idea of worship being right living. He gives us the Ten Commandments. He gives us justice and acts of mercy. Loyalty to God and not other things. He puts, he says, don't put any idols before me, right? Don't worship anything beside me. He wants this to be a moment of recognition that he is ultimate. Again, not because he needs to be reminded, because you need to be reminded, because I need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. And so um, as we... Uh, as we kind of bring these two worlds together, this is, this is the big shift that I want you to see. Worship in some ways, I could, I could stand on one end of this and pick some scriptures together and say, it almost has nothing to do with you and your preferences. So how does that translate to what kind of song you want on Sunday morning? It almost has nothing to do with those things. It, 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 all, it almost has nothing to do with musical expressions, what you like or don't like, how comfortable you are using your body or not using your body, how comfortable you are having different postures before God. In fact, I printed this off because I wanted you to physically see it. Um, in some of the classes I had to take, this is one page, two page, three page, for 58, 58 Hebrew words that get translated in your scripture as worship or praise, sometimes sacrifice, sometimes joyful shouting, five or six translations against 58 very specific ways to worship God. And what are they? Well, to kneel or bow down, to give reverence to God as an act of adoration, to gill. This is a good one. Literally to put your arms out and spin. I haven't seen that happen here yet. I have seen it at Pentecostal churches. Halal, we say hallelujah. That means to be clamorously foolish. So when we say the word hallelujah in a nice, calm manner, we're actually saying it in a way that is contradictory to its very definition. To be clamorously foolish. That doesn't fit in our world. Rain in, to creak or emit a stridulous, stridulous, I don't know how to pronounce that word, sound, a shout aloud. That's, that's screaming. That's like academic words for that moment when you're so excited. Have you seen it in your kids where they get so excited and they just squeal? That's real excitement. Shaka, to depress or prostrate, to lie down, face flat on the ground. That's not comfortable. Strolling minstrel, I love that one. That's like you got your mandolin out and you're just walking around. Apparently that gets, that's in the scriptures. This is seven of them. To sing a new song, one as yet uncreated, biblical. To extend your hand in adoration, a choir of worshipers, we got to do that today. To yada, to hold out the hand or throw something. I don't even get how that's related to worship, but it is. 58 ways to worship God. And we usually bring it to five, six, maybe. Okay, so, so let me flip it on you. Almost nothing to do with your preferences. Almost nothing to do with your sense of comfortability. In fact, often it's the more uncomfortable you are, the more sacrificial it is, and that's the direction you should be going. Almost nothing present in the scriptures, in these parameters, are comfortable. And, and, and so what I want you to see is like, obedience has been minimized in our worship. But, but, let me, let me for those of you who are real uncomfortable with what I'm saying right now, we still have a relational God who cares about what you want, 
who likes your preferences, wants you to engage, loves you enough, engages like a father. You know how many things I've done with, with my kids that I like, I, I wouldn't normally do this, but they like it and they want to do it with me. So I'm going to play Minecraft. <laughs> Eight-bit video gaming at its finest, right? It, it, so, so catch it. It's because I, I love them that I want to know their preferences. I want to know what they like to do. And I'm going to do those things with them because it's fun. And every once in a while I learn, man, this actually is kind of fun. I'm having fun with you doing this. So, so let the obedience part clear the slate for what entitlement you might have brought into worship. But then also let the loving, relational fathering of a God who wants to love you ask you the question in the midst of you saying, okay, then God, what do you want for worship? Know that he's like, yeah, there's some things that I want, but also I want to know what you want to do. It's, it's a relationship. And we have this loving God who is gracious enough to care and to hand us a kind of expression like music that brings enjoyment to so many people. Music exists in every culture on planet Earth. It's, it's meant to stir your affections. It's meant to create a mnemonic device where words get stuck in your head. It's meant to, anyone who knows, if you're a musician, the, 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 um, the, the Nashville number system, you basically learn how to use chord structures to manipulate emotions. You know the song, uh, Leonard Cohen, it goes like this. Shrek did not write this song, by the way, for you youngins out there. Uh, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor chord, the minor falls, the major lift. All right? So what it's saying is that there are ways in which I can play this chord, and I know it's going to create this emotion in you. And I can use this chord then to drop it down and create this emotion in you. Every time I write a song, I'm doing that to you. Thank you. Any musician who's writing songs and knows what they're doing, they're doing that. So, like, there's a way in which we can, this is too emotional. This isn't emotional enough. Anything that's brought to music is going to be emotional. So, so we create things. We engage our emotions. We engage our bodies, as I was unfamiliar with. But the people in Ivory Coast were like, no, we're going to break this bias out of you. Um, and, and then there's this sense of authenticity that I want to deal in just real quick as we close this down. Because often we, like, don't, we, are we authentic? Well, God has a lot to say about authenticity. I, I hate your musical festivals. I hate your celebrations. Your songs of worship are detested in my sight because what? Almost always because you're acting in disobedience. You do not extend mercy. You do not act justly. There's something wrong with your heart and your lips and your actions are saying you devote your life to me, but your words and actions outside of this are saying something different. And so there is this extent where we, at times, need to make our hearts right, that our lives of worship are in alignment with our words of worship. But there's also moments where you have to come in and say, man, I don't know that I believe every breath of mine is to you, God. So I'm praying this in hopes that you'll make it true, God. That's how you make that authentic. There's a moment wherein I think if, if you ever have a situation, you're like, I'll never bow down to God. I had a, uh, not here, I'm, I'm not holding this, but in a church I was at, an elder that I said as a worship leader, bow down. If you're comfortable with it, actually, if you're not comfortable with it, bow down. I'm going to make you do that today, but it's not above Sunday. And he said, I hate when you do that. It is just not natural to me to bow down. Of course it's not, man. Like, and he told me, Would you, could, could you just stop doing that? Nope, not going to stop. In fact, I think your worship is invalid until you get on your knees and bow down before God. Because you've refused an aspect of worship from him. And then he wanted to permanize that. And we had that 
discussion, and it, and it was good. We're buddies. It wasn't like an angry discussion. He's like kind of, well, how, how do I, if I'm inauthentic when I, there's times you just worship God out of obedience and ask him to make your heart right. And there's times when God says, make your heart right so that you can inauthentic uh, humility worship me. All right? Both. I'm going to, I want to end with this. Um, uh, man, Okay. This topic is so big, we're going to do it twice. We're going to come back to it in a few weeks. Um, So I'm going to stop my notes there, and I'll just carry those over. But there's one last thing I wanted to see that kind of makes these points come home. A guy by the name of D. Wilson, he's a worship leader. He came from Chicago, fairly known, um, and has had a few, like, songs that are out there. Um, He's now in Colorado, and um, this is is why I want you to to pay attention in this. Um, there's an expression of worship by a group called the Common Hymnal. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a worship group. But what they're trying to do is like add hip-hop songs into it as worship. And so they wrote this song. And what I want you to do is listen. This is the very last line that, that comes, or the very last few lines that come together. And, and um, this guy who's been influential to me um, does the last, uh, the last part. So go ahead and just show this part. And he gives a little testimony for it. First giving praise and honor to God who's head of my life. I'm just thankful to be back in the service today because he's brought me from a mighty long way. Amen, brother. Let's go. Yeah, one thing straight. I don't need the sweet talk. I got all the flowers I need. G gon' stay in the box that it came. Don't ask me to see. And that's not much. I don't want the trouble of looking at me. And that's not humble. I'm living in a tunnel if I can't treat Pete. But then I'm reminded of talks with big homies. They told me I couldn't be touched if he from me. And if he gon' do it, it won't be because your boy earned it. I'm learning my place and it's turning. He just gon' pick up the bill, ain't no copay. He make a path with a head and say no way. Junior just played out in London with Coplay. Blue just slid through the spot with the OJ. Black Joy, that's a new sound of the protest. And I promise when I meet the king, he ain't asking me for none of this acoustic stuff. We gon' shake it up, spit a 16, and that's crazy. Our- all right, D. Wilson, y'all. All right, first of all, D. Wilson, amen. Um, next, and just bring that down. Let it keep playing. Let, let it keep playing. Bring it down. Oh, just kidding. End it. Kill it. Sorry, my bad. My bad. Uh, the bass was heavy. You couldn't hear a lot of the words, and I would encourage you to go look, but it's the very end that I really wanted you to catch. Because for the most part, D. Wilson leads worship with an acoustic guitar. But what he's saying to us, in the midst of all of the things we've talked about, biblically, praise and protest, justice and worship go together, he adds that into it. That's just not on a lot of our radars. Some of us. As you look at it, he's like, man, why does one style, why does you 2 and, and Coldplay get to dominate the soundscape so that I can't have the kind of worship that is localized to me, and he's making that clear. He doesn't hate acoustic guitars. I know him. He, he, lo- he leads with acoustic guitar most of the time. But what he's saying rhetorically is, how come there's no room for this? He talks about humility and lack of humility early on where he is struggling with the reality that he just wants to take back what was stolen from him, but that older people in his community, the big homies, have told him, you don't get to just do that. You need to trust God and move in me. So he's got wisdom in there. I don't, I don't see a lot of that tension in the scripture or in the worship songs that I've heard in, in many ways. So, so there's something being captured in this art form that couldn't be captured in other ways or just hasn't been, okay? Um, I'm going to pray over us. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of challenge here. I hope there's a lot of freedom in this. Um, and if you come in today and you're like, man, 
I have lived in a world where my priorities have been ignored, I'm so sorry. We're working on it. We, we are. I know, I know it's slow moving. We're trying. Help be a part of that conversation. If you've been in here and you've realized that maybe your preference has been the dominating force in the giving community, whether it be ours or a church that you've been at before, maybe you just need to quietly ask God for forgiveness for that. Maybe you come to realize that in your pursuit for intentionality, unintentionality, for authenticity or inauthenticity, that actually there's a level to which you've idolized your ability, your, your entitlement to uh, having authenticity. And you need to lay that down. Or maybe your actions disagree with the words that you're saying, and you have to reconcile that somewhere, either through praying that God would make those true of your life, or changing the actions that you are operating in outside of this. Maybe you're realizing the songs that we sing for worship and your actions are not. Maybe you've realized that you've just been so limited in your expressions that it feels hard to raise your hands, that it feels hard to get down on the floor, that it feels hard to do anything other than quietly sing contemplative songs. Go before God and ask Him what He wants you to do with that. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for at least 58 ways that the Scriptures have told us we are able to engage you and we probably are kind of required to and we just miss them. Could we come in authentically and when we praise you, bring in all of the darkness and struggle and victory that we've walked through all week so that we can't help, we can't, we can't think of doing anything else but getting there on Sunday morning so that we can praise you because we've seen your goodness over and over and over again as opposed to cultivating good, our sense of gratitude and thanksgiving. Could we come ready to, to bring praise and justice together, mercy and an offering of worship to you? As a community, God, help us to imagine what that could look like, what that should look like. And so God, blow up whatever remnants of selfishness we have as we come before you and worship you, God, that we would mutually encourage each other, but encourage you and bless you, God, and serve you as we offer up a sacrifice of praise every Sunday and outside of these four walls. We love you, Jesus. Uh, help us to know how to love you even better. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.